Water isn't wet. Whatever water gets on is wet. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble. Fantasy drafts are probably happening as we speak, coming up in the next week and a half as well. The preseason's underway. So what we're going to do in today's show is we're going to do some ADP battles. Look at players who are available at around the same ADP mark, guys who generally are the same sort of player. And uh, we're going to debate which guy we would choose in that spot. It's going to be me doing it. Matt Smith's going to be doing it via proxy. But joining me live on the show today, I'm going to have, well, I do have with me, Kyle McEwen. First of all, Kyle. I love you guys. Hey, what's Except up? You care. Kyle, it's, it's good to have you back on. And of course, Greg Ehrenberg is also here. As Greg runs in, we realize this could get dangerous. Yeah, and assuming this all works out well, this is the first time you've had guests on camera. Am I correct? Uh, I, I think about three or four years ago, I used to have uh, guys on camera when we do a lot of live streams. But this is uh, the first time in a few years that guys are here live on camera. So Kyle and uh, and Greg are getting their getting their heads up on the screen for you guys watching on YouTube. You can see them up on that screen now. We've got uh, quite a bit to talk about. We're going to be doing uh, 15 separate ADP battles in today's show. So who knows how long this goes for? Hopefully, it doesn't take up too much of you guys' time. Michael Bolton's ready. Let's get to it. All right, we will start by uh, by looking. At these ADP battles, we will start at the top of the draft. We're talking about pick four. And if we had pick four, who would we go for? Would it be Giannis Adetokounmpo? Would it be Kevin Durant? Or would it be LeBron James? LeBron James. Greg, we'll start with you. Um, Which uh, direction did you go? Yeah, so I went Giannis here. Uh, LeBron to me is the easy elimination. Like, I don't consider him at all here. So it's in between Giannis and Durant. It's, It's pretty close for me. I go with Giannis. Just because I do feel like he contributes everywhere in every category. I know that Durant does also. But Giannis, I still think there is room for upside. I think that Kyle made some really good uh, points about him on Basketball Monster, about some concerns about how many minutes is he going to play. Because Budenholzer is the coach of the team now, which in theory is an upgrade because he's a better coach than Jason Kidd. But one issue is that he doesn't usually play starters over 34 minutes, was I think the number that Kyle had said. But with that... I still think there is a chance that if there's any player he's going to play over 34 minutes, it would be Giannis. And if Giannis plays the 36 to 38 minutes, I think he has potential to be the number one overall player this year. Well, last year he played 37 minutes a game and he was still the eighth ranked player. So there is still a a leap for him to get to. It's got to be improving three-pointers, improving free throw percentage for him to jump up. But those guys between three and eight are all so close to me. I agree with you, Greg, that LeBron is out of there. I included him in this because his ADP is number five over on on Yahoo. We've got Giannis with an ADP of four and Kevin Durant with an ADP of six. So they're all in that zone. Kyle, you also went with uh, Yanni Yatadokounmpo at pick number four. Yeah, I mean... Greg touched on pretty much everything that you need to know, but uh, another argument about it is is just the idea that at age 23, Giannis still has so much room to grow, and if Budenholzer does put him in better positions to score more efficiently or to to set up his teammates better, we just we know that there's more room for growth with Giannis, and the ceiling with him is the sky. So I, I know Josh, you like to make the argument about family guy and you can either have a boat or what's in the box, but um, well, you know, a boat might be in the box, but um, 
I, it's a little bit different with Giannis. And you could also argue that Giannis per, per, perceivably is more healthy or is uh, more likely to be healthy than KD or not, maybe not LeBron because LeBron played in all 82 games last year. But when you're looking at the opportunity that Giannis might have this season and having the new coach there, there there's enough unknowns and, and most of them have to do with his upside. It's not like we're sitting here we're saying like there's there's downside anywhere for Giannis because there's really not. We already know he's going to take more threes. We know he has the ability to get more steals, to get more blocks uh, at his size and becoming a better player. He's going to continue to score more craftily around the basket, and he already does that in such an, in such an amazing way. He might get more assists. I, I mean, there's just there's so many different ways for him to improve his game that you you know that there's the potential for him to be the number one overall player in fantasy for a given season. So making an investment in that in the year it might happen. It's, I know Josh, you know, say you, you, what's fun is winning, but I want to invest in winning with Giannis if I'm if I've got the the fourth pick here. Yeah, look, that's that's no, completely. One, one thing I'm just going to interject with real quick. First off, I'm not convinced that Giannis isn't a boat himself already. Like that's that's a realistic possibility here. And then also in terms of the three point shooting, we saw him make just under one three a game post All Star break last year. And just given his age, I think that his number should all continue to trend up. So I think that we could realistically see one plus three-pointer a game from Giannis this season. Yeah, look, that's a possibility. There's also the possibility that he does that, but he also does it at such a low percentage that drags his overall field goal percentage down, which is a strength there with Giannis. There's absolutely no argument with putting him there at number four. I had uh, Kevin Durant. Matt also had Kevin Durant as uh, as that guy. You know, especially in a roto league, Durant ticks pretty much every single box. Uh, we're not as as worried about KD resting during head-to-head playoffs. There is still some risk there. I, I do think it is between Giannis and Durant. At, at that spot, given the uh, the ADPs of those guys, and I wouldn't be considering LeBron in that uh, in that area for fantasy drafts. The next one we look at, we're looking at pick eight. LeBron is also here because we also had him a bit lower. I only included him in that early one because of where he was getting drafted on Yahoo. We've got LeBron here. We've got uh, the fun guy Kawhi Leonard. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Curry and uh, and Russell Westbrook in the mix there at pick eight. I'll start myself off, me and Matt again, uh, going together by taking Steph Curry here at number eight over over LeBron, over Kawhi, over Westbrook. Now, Kawhi's got that ability to be a top five player. We saw that in his last two healthy seasons. He's getting to the line a shit ton in the first two preseason games for some weird reason, not hitting his free throws. Um, and on a per-game basis, you know, Kawhi might be fine to take it ahead here, but I am going with Steph. Just, I, I feel pretty confident in what he's going to do. I'm not worried about the ankle injuries from last season. He's been remarkably healthy before last season. Again, you could easily make the argument for any of these guys. Maybe not Westbrook, given the knee injury, which I am a little bit concerned about. But me and Matt have both gone with Steph here. You know, strong, strong historical production, uh, strong per game numbers. Who knows when they're going to miss, if they're going to miss. And you know, missing games could happen with anybody. And they're both entering the season healthy. Greg, you have also gone with Curry, so I'll get back to you in a sec. But Kyle, you are the uh, odd man out in this group taking LeBron at pick number eight. Um, are you expecting you know, more of what we saw from LeBron last season? You're not buying into the uh, taking the foot off the accelerator type narrative that's uh, been put out there a little bit? Um, I, I think you can look at it a couple of different ways. Uh, the fact that LeBron might be invigorated being in, in LA. He did play all 82 games last year. He played a ton of minutes. So who's to say that he won't play those same minutes again? You know, Luke Walton's not going to dictate how many minutes no. LeBron plays. LeBron's going to tell him how many minutes he's going to play every game. So um, if LeBron wants to play 36 or 37 minutes a game, he'll do that. 
Um, beyond that, you're looking at the other guys, and I mean, Kawhi and Westbrook are, are question marks because of okay, yes, we've seen Kawhi play in what two preseason games now, so you're you're having you feel a lot more confident about him playing this season and being healthy, and it even makes you look back on last season and say, was he actually hurt or was he just emotionally distraught? Um, with Steph Curry, I would lean Steph. I would go Steph Curry here if this was a rotisserie league, 100. percent And I would I would consider Kawhi in that in that pack package with Curry in a rotisserie league. But for head to head, I'm looking at the potential of what LeBron could do on this LA team. The idea that if he is playing center more and trying to protect the rim more, maybe we get an absurd amount of blocks from LeBron this year that we weren't expecting. Or maybe playing off the ball more on offense allows him to score more and then and do this easily so that he has more energy on defense. So then maybe his steals tick up or something. And yes, I'm expecting a downward trend in assists, but you're just seeing a lot of teams spread the ball handling around this these years uh, or this season and more and more every season. So it's, it's becoming less and less about having that that one lead ball handler. Now you just got like two to four on every team. Yeah, pretty much. The, the, you know, we see so many big men bringing it up, small forwards bringing the ball up. Anyone's got this opportunity to bring the ball up the quarter. And it's it feels like it is going to start to trend that way in the NBA with just multiple ball handlers, playmakers, and mixing things up on uh, on pretty much a nightly basis. Greg, you did go with Steph as well. Anything different to what uh, I said uh, on, uh, on Curry there? No, I think the only thing I'd bring up is that I really do have significant concerns about this Lakers team. And it's hard for me to envision how all these pieces fit together. Now, LeBron is LeBron. He's terrific. I think he's going to be great. But just the players around him, it's such a weird fit that I I do worry, like, what is it going to do to his counting stats? And for that reason, I would take Kawhi ahead of him. I would take Curry ahead of him. I would still take LeBron ahead of Westbrook just because of the injury to to Russ. But uh, I think for the concerns I have with the Lakers is one one of the reasons I have Curry and Kawhi ahead of him. Yeah, I, a, did you? I don't. I, I didn't watch the uh, the first two. There's two Lakers preseason yep. games, I believe, already. Um, I didn't. Wa- I only watched the highlights for each of them, but I watched like you know the the 10 minute extended highlights where it's every single made shot and all the good defensive plays and whatnot. And they're fun. Oh, they yeah. are a a lot of fun. Like I hate that I am falling in love with this Lakers team, but when you see any and all of these guys bringing the ball up the court or you see one of them, there's just so much passing going on because of all the guys they have right now, and they still don't have Lonzo in there, who's arguably, you know, I mean, with Rondo, they're like one and one A as far as passers go. And then you got LeBron at 1C. It's just nuts. And Brandon Ingram's showing off so him some of his passing too, and you're just like, this is going to be so much fun. So I'm kind of buying into it now. It, it, it is fun. The ball movement, the pace, they were pushing the pace real hard uh, in that second preseason game. And Lonzo is a guy who accelerates the tempo pretty much any time he's on the court. And we haven't even seen him yet. So getting him back in that mix is going to be very interesting. So that uh, Lakers team is going to be uh, definitely fun to watch. Uh, something I'll be uh, paying huge attention to, as I'm sure all NBA fans will be across the season. Let's move now to the end of the first round, start of the second round. I've got four guys here, uh, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, Victor Oladipo, and Paul George. I'm including Butler there because our per-game projections, uh, I've got him fairly high now. Of course, we don't know what's going to be happening with him. It seems to be dragging out even more. And it's, uh, I think, realistic that none of us are picking him here at pick 12. Embiid, Oladipo, and George are probably the three more realistic options there. Myself, Matt, and Kyle, we all went with Joel Embiid. But, uh, Greg, you went with Paul George there at pick number 12. If he is available, Paul George has an ADP 
of 14 on Yahoo on uh, ESPN. It's uh, ridiculous where he's ranked 25th. Embiid's uh, ADP is 17 on Yahoo, 18 Sorry, 15 on ESPN, and Oladipo is 12 on Yahoo and 20 on ESPN. But all those guys are in that mix at the end of the first round, start of the second round. So, Greg, Paul George, why are you the uh, odd man out here? Yeah, so part of this, or actually most of this, is because of the injury to Westbrook's knee. So if Westbrook is going to miss time to start the season, and we could possibly see a re-injury of that knee. We saw this a few seasons ago. Westbrook had the knee surgery, had to have a second knee surgery, and ended up missing a large chunk of the season. The numbers for Paul George with Westbrook and Melo off the floor last year, his usage was ridiculous. So if there's a chance that we're going to see Westbrook miss an extended amount of games, but the upside for Paul George is really absurd this year. Yeah, look, that, that's true. We don't know how much Westbrook's going to miss. I think he'll be back fairly soon, but re-injury is a real uh, a real significant issue. Now, uh, Kyle, you, me, and Matt all went with Embiid. Um, I just think getting a center and getting an, a center who can be efficient in terms of free throw percentage and getting those blocks is pretty tough to do, and getting Embiid in this area. That's pro- why I look at him there. I, mean, I don't look at him as a guy who I think, you know, in terms of my per-game projections, I've got Paul George above him and Oladipo you know, slightly below but uh, just trying to get that center is why I would take Embiid there at pick 12. That's the same reason that Matt gave. Kyle, is that what you're looking at with Embiid going there at 12, even though you might not have him projected as the 12th best player overall? Yeah, he actually falls at 11th in mine. Oh, and I'm, I'm so intrigued by his upside because I think we could see him play more minutes than what I've projected Joel Embiid at, and that's 32. Um, I, I think that there are certain aspects of his game that, are still untapped or still developing it. And to watch what he did in those first two preseason games too, the way that he so methodically would just go into the post and push people around and play that bully ball down there. It gave you feelings of like you were watching Shaq again, where he would just walk in and throw his elbows into whoever the hell was guarding him and just lay the ball up. And the idea that we're going to have a, a dominant postman like this. There's not a lot of Tim Duncans around the league this now to guard somebody like that. So he's just going to walk through a lot of people this season. And I'm really interested. Like if somebody told me they wanted to take Joel Embiid because he's a center eligible player at the third or fourth pick over a Carl Anthony Towns or somebody else, I wouldn't necessarily scream at that. Oh, I would. He's definitely look. He's definitely got top eight upside. I would say. Look, I've only got him projected at thirty-one minutes. But if he comes in and plays thirty-three a night, then he jumps into the top ten, maybe the top eight. There is Towns, there is Jokic in that mix as well. But he's got clear upside. And to look, if he somehow gets to thirty-four minutes, which I don't think they're going to do, then Kyle, that you know, third pick, fourth pick, that could be realistic to have him there blocking two shots per game, going twenty-five and twelve, and getting three and a half assists. And if he bangs in the threes at the same rate he did as a rookie, then that goes up, you know, even further. So there is that upside there. I think the likelihood of him pushing to 34 a night is, is pretty low, just given the, um, the uh, I guess, cautious nature of how the Sixers, and rightfully so, how they're going to be treating him. But uh, I love him there at pick number uh, number 12 in uh, in fantasy drafts for this coming season. Let's. Uh, wait, so one thing, like I, I agree that Embiid does have the top three or four upside, but I definitely wouldn't take him there. Yeah. Oh, no, then that's, I, I that's agree. about I mitigating agree. I, I was, I, I like to get hopeful maybe a little bit or I get excited and I like to just like talk about the absolute ceiling with with guys sometimes. And but that's where I see it being with Joel Embiid. Like next year we might be looking at it and being like, he has to be a top three pick. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, that, that's fair. 
You could make that argument with Jokic as well, who was the number two player post All Star break last season uh, behind Anthony Davis. Like these, there's a lot of these guys who have that upside. If yeah, Butler leaves Minnesota, where is what's Towns' upside? So they're three centers who could be pushing up pretty high. If Kawhi is back oh. to normal, he pushes into that discussion. There are so many guys, oh. and that's why when we're talking about these picks, like you could make easy arguments for. Yeah, Towns, Durant, Leonard, Curry, Jokic, Giannis, um, and Embiid to be top four guys. And that's, you know, what, seven guys that I mentioned there? Josh, what was your reaction to that first Minnesota game? Because guess who took the fourth most shots on the, on the yeah, team? Yeah, it was, it was Towns. And it wasn't like some of those games yeah. last season when he got really low field goal attempts and you looked at it and go, man, only seven field attempts. He had like nine free throw attempts. So he was getting the ball. He was just getting fouled a lot. But I believe in that first preseason game, he had one free throw attempt. One. So it wasn't as though he was even one. taking shots and getting fouled on them. It was just consistent bafflement. And Derek Rose scored 16 points and did it well. But he took 10 He's shots. He's going to lead the team to it's, I don't know, it's just, it's, this is the one of the well, the most dominant offensive center in the NBA at the moment. I, I, maybe, it's, maybe it's Davis, but is Towns a better offensive player than Davis? I, I don't know. It's pretty bloody close. And just to, to limit him to, to his, uh, and, and it's, it's not like oh, it's one game in preseason. This is an ongoing theme from what happened last season with the way that these guards treat him, with the way the coaching staff uh, treats him and doesn't demand that he gets it. And I guess some of the blame goes on him with some of his uh, pass, passivity. I never can say this word, his passiveness. Let's go with that one. Um, which is yeah, uh, okay, annoying. but you could, uh, you know what? But I'm gonna give Carl Anthony Towns like one and a half passes on his defensive lapses each game, too, because he's probably sitting there, uh, like metaphorically holding his head in his hands, going, When in the hell am I gonna get the ball? Like, what is going on with this offense? Why is Derrick Rose taking so many long two range shots? What is going on? And well, Towns was better uh, as a rookie defensively than he is now. Uh, so last year with Butler off the court, Rose led the team in usage. I, I really think that if nothing else changes with this team, like I, they have to trade Butler eventually. This team is totally ridiculous. But eventually Butler is going to get traded, and we don't know exactly what they're going to get back. But as the team is made up now, I th- if you ask me to bet who's going to lead the team in usage, I would take Derrick Rose. Yeah, and that's they frightening. They have to fire Tibbs. They've got to fire that dude. Yeah. He's just – he's – He's, you can't, like, I know they just signed Carl Anthony Towns, so you can't lose him, but you're going to lose him. Like, you're going to lose him. Yeah, because he's going to come in with a, a trade demand at some point and say, look, this is bullshit. Like, what is this? He's an MVP he's- level player, and Tibbs isn't going to give him that opportunity, and that's infuriating. Yeah, absolutely. Because of who? Because of Andrew Wiggins and Jeff Teague? I feel like a Fox News host yelling right now. Let's, uh, let's go. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. It's pick number 22. We've got three guys up for debate here. Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, and Donovan Mitchell, who are all going in this range at the end of the second round, start of the third round. Um, Matt went with uh, Drew Holiday there, just marginally in front of Devin Booker, mainly because of his uh, higher field goal percentage and assists per game, and the fact that the Pelicans will be looking for playoff seeding uh, around the fantasy playoffs time, so really still competing there. Now, there is some risk that Holiday doesn't keep up that large field goal percentage he had last season. If that drops off, some of his value may dip, but the rest of us all had Devin Booker. I think he will be the starting point guard. And even if he's not, even if they start a point guard next to him, it's going to be James Harden playing alongside Patrick Beverly. He's going to see the assist numbers rise and maybe his usage falls marginally, but it should see his efficiency rise up as well. But getting to six, six and a half potential assists. And if my God, if he can actually get like one steal a game, then that value is pretty solid. I believe I'm not worried about the hand injury. Who cares if he misses one game at the start of the season or two games? I don't think it's an ongoing thing. Hopefully the surgery is corrected that but we've all taken Devin Booker there 
Mitchell would take a pretty need to take a pretty significant step up from about the 45th ranked player he was last season. We all love Donovan Mitchell, but over these guys who were around this zone last season, I find that a little bit harder to believe. Kyle, do you think that they're going to be putting Booker into that hardened role? Or we heard those statements from Kokoshkov earlier in the offseason. No, he's not going to be playing point guard. But everything what they're doing now, it seems to point towards that's what's going to be the case. I mean, it's it's more, you could actually call it an exaggerated Don, Donovan Mitchell role since Kokoshkov's coming from the Jazz and he's gonna he's implementing a, a pretty similar offense where you're going to have multiple ball handlers doing things. Um, and except I think Booker, there's just less around him than what Mitchell has on the... Uh, on the on the Jazz, especially with Ricky Rubio being there, the, and and Joe Ingles, the way he showed out as a ball handler last season too. So, w- on the Suns, there's just not as many ball handlers. So you're looking at the, and also not as many scores. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll see how things kind of pan out this season. But you're just looking at Booker, and you feel like there's there's a higher ceiling than what's available to the other guys. Love Holiday's defensive stats, and same for Mitchell in regards to his steals. Yep, uh, Greg, anything for you to add there with uh with Booker? No, really, the only thing that made me consider anybody else was the hand injury. Like, if it wasn't for that, I would easily have him ahead of these other guys. Uh, It's still Booker for me. Uh, If you're concerned about the injury, I can't fault the Drew Holiday pick. Uh, But per game, I I expect Booker to be better than these guys. And I think that there's a chance that Booker takes a massive leap and is like a first-round player this year. Yeah, I think that's that's a legitimate chance. I'm not sure if Holiday can extend that far, and, and Mitchell to get that far would be a pretty large step. So I, I do agree with you on that, as uh, obviously we all chose Devin Booker there in that slot at pick number 22. Let's say we hypothetically had pick number 42 in a draft coming up. I've narrowed it down to Al Horford, Blake Griffin, and Miles Turner based on uh, the ADPs of these guys. If we look, and I've just got to find my numbers now because I've uh, lost them, but Blake Griffin's got an ADP of 42. Over on uh, over on Yahoo, Al Horford, I believe, is about 45, 44, actually. Uh, he is there as well. Miles Turner is right around that 40 mark as well, a guy who was a pretty big disappointment last season. Um, I'm the odd man out in this group with Greg, Kyle, and Matt all taking Miles Turner. Kyle, I'll let you have the floor first with Miles. He was disappointing last season, and I don't believe in like you know, penalizing people because they let you down the year before. But what are you expecting the improvement in Miles' game to be this season? I would expect Miles Turner to be more efficient and to take on a slightly larger role on in off in the offense. Uh, he was working on his off the dribble three pointers a lot this off season, so hopefully they just kind of even throw him the ball as he comes across the half court and let him take those uh, those shots as the trailer. For the most part, you're looking at your options there and you're saying, okay, we're choosing between a center eligible player in most respects, and I would want to get the blocks that Turner offers if I'm not punting that. So if I was punting blocks, yeah, I'd, I'd be looking at Griffin here, but wanting, hopefully, hoping to get those defensive stats and the, the all-around upside that Turner has in regards to his potentially elite percentages, um, in addition to having that guy who's not only protecting the rim but also stretching the floor, you, just, you like the combination of, of what he offers there as the quote-unquote unicorn. 
Look, I was big on Turner last season, and of course, he, he didn't live up to that. I thought he'd take a big step forward in his offensive responsibility. In fact, his usage went down, and now they're a team that adds Tyreek Evans, another guy who needs the ball in his hands a lot. So I'm just not sure where Turner is going to get that increase in usage that we so hoped for him last season. Demontis Sabonis played very, very well last season, and I expect him to see a slightly increased role. So I'm a little bit skeptical on Turner, but the three-point shot-blocking efficiency combination that Turner can bring is obviously really, really interesting, but will he get to 32 minutes of night. Will he push to 22% usage? If he can do those things, then then he is the, the guy here. But I'm not quite buying that that's going to be the case, but no problem there. And I think he's clearly over Al Horford in, in that option. I think Horford's a guy that takes a step back for this season, I've got Griffin here. He was putting up you know, massive assist numbers. The injury worry is, is some; it is a concern, and it would depend on who I grabbed with some of my earlier picks as to whether I take this risk on Griffin. But I think he could maybe even be a top 35 guy, averaging 20 points with seven assists. Uh, he hit you near know, two threes per game post All-Star break as well, which is interesting. Um, his free throw percentage is fine. It used to be a real pain in the ass early in his career, but it's fine now. Field goal percentage is a worry, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay with grabbing him there. Just trying to get a high usage, a score, guy and assist, which can be a little bit difficult to find later on. Um, so that's what I'm looking at with uh, with Blake in this uh, in this area. Greg, are you buying the Turner uh, bump in usage, or what are you looking at with with Turner in terms of how he improves on what he did last season? Yeah, so I think the easiest way that we're going to see his fantasy value improve is just with playing time. If you look at two years ago, he played 31 and a half minutes, and last year he played 28 and a half. Now, so the reasons that he played less minutes, I think, are twofold. One, it was injury-related, which I think is maybe not a huge concern for him. He had some, like, weird injuries last year. He was, he was banged up the entire season. He had a knee issue. He had concussions. So there was a lot of weird things that happened with Turner, and I don't really think any of it is something to be a long-term concern. He just got banged up early last year and was never able to get himself to 100%. Uh, and then the other thing also, he he had some foul issues last year. And I think both of those are things that – we could see improve this year. And if that's the case, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he plays like 31, 32 minutes, which doesn't seem like a huge jump from 28 minutes. But when we're looking at fantasy stats and how that impacts somebody's counting numbers, those four minutes could have a pretty big difference in where we see somebody ranked at the end of the season. Yeah, look, it does. I've got him projected out at 30, 30 minutes exactly for this season. But you know, getting to 31 or 32 wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be crazy to, to see him do that. Kyle's got him at 30 as well in terms of uh, his projections for this coming season. Uh, let's move on to the next one. We're looking uh, outside the top 50 here. Pick number 54. A bunch of small forward eligible players. Gordon Hayward, the artist formerly known as Torian Prince, and Joshy Richardson. Matt is the only one of us that's t- taking Josh there. Um, yeah, he's buying into the talk from Spolstra, from Riley, from Richardson of a growing offensive role. And I seem to, I, you can take these things with a grain of salt, but when it's just coming from so many different angles, you have to get the feeling that they are looking at Richardson in a, in a, a more, a larger role offensively. The blocks are obviously fantastic from a guard. Steals, he was a three point uh, dynamo after December last season, 40% in nearly every month until maybe April. Struggled a little bit in the playoffs, but Richardson is fine in, in this area and could very easily crack the top 40. Uh, Greg and Kyle, you both went with Gordon Haywood. Now, he is um, obviously we have a little bit of a concern, or we did have a little bit of a concern in terms of how the leg injury has gone, but he's played in a couple of preseason games. He's got to shake off some rust, obviously, but he's uh, a guy that was a top 30 guy uh, back in his time in Utah. Now, I don't think he's going to get to that level, Greg, but um, you know, do you just have more confidence in an established guy like Haywood versus our Richardson and Prince, two younger players? 
Yeah, so Hayward also is somebody who really could contribute across the board. And the other thing that I think there's upside for him that maybe isn't being considered, it wouldn't shock me if he was just crazy efficient this year. Like, I could see him kind of being like the poor man's Kevin Durant type thing where you just put him in this really good system with a lot of good players around him, and maybe we see his counting stats come down from what he was in Utah. But he could really put up, like, a really good true shooting percentage with maybe a couple made threes per game, high free throw percentage. And the field goal percentage was a little bit lower most of the time when he was in Utah, although did get as high as 47%. I I think that he could be in the 47 to 48% range on, on the high end for his ceiling. I've got all these guys here pretty closely ranked as well. The ADPs are, are pretty closely uh, moved around as well, although uh, both Prince and Richardson on Yahoo are both uh, ADP outside the top 60, whereas Haywood is at 48, but we've got them all ranked in that same sort of a, a range. Uh, Kyle, your uh, your take on Haywood, what, did you, what have you seen from him in the preseason? Has that uh, assuaged any concerns you may have had with him uh, heading into this season? Yeah, I'm just, uh, I don't, you know, I never really felt like we had reason to believe that he was going to the the injury was going to linger or be an issue. I, I get it. He might take a little bit of time getting up to speed, just not having played basketball for a year. But um, when considering taking Hayward over uh, Torian Prince or Josh Richardson, I just I think that you're more certain to get production from Hayward than you are from the other guys. Um, from Prince, I don't believe that everything that he did in the second half last season is going to translate to, to this season. We also saw a big stretch of games where Prince was just trash and couldn't hit a shot last year too. So it's, it's kind of seeing the, 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 the bottom that is a, there for Prince. It's, you know, you're never going to get there with Hayward. Um, and with Josh Richardson, there's just so much, what's going on with that Miami team. There's so many guys that they like to keep in the rotation. Like, Rodney Magruder and you know they're talking up Derek Jones and you're just like there's not enough room yeah. what are you doing someone there's asked me about room. Derek Jones the other day and I went that's the oh, the, the heat love that's great but look is he the 13th guy like where is he fitting like where are the minutes there is it ahead of Dragic is it ahead of Wade is it ahead of Tyler Johnson is it ahead of Richardson is it ahead of Winslow is it ahead of Magruder is it ahead of Wade is when he's healthy like there's like eight guys there that probably are ahead of Derek Jones and it's going to be weird to find out I think Tyler Johnson's going to suffer a pretty big hit and I also think they're preparing for Deion Wade as not to be there for big chunks of this season um, I went with Prince here but it could easily be discussed to go with any of those uh, or you know persuaded to go for any of these other guys um, I think with with the Richardson situation, I, I do buy in, but I think there's, a, there's an element of uh, shakiness into how they're going to use him and what they're going to do, as you just mentioned, Kyle. And with Haywood, I just I worry that maybe they do knock the minutes off a little bit, maybe that the usage gets split so much that it does impact what he can do, whereas Prince on a team that is looking for someone to step up. Now, he won't do what he did post-All-Star last season. He was putting up huge, huge numbers, and he won't get to that level. But I feel pretty good about him stabilizing in these mid-rounds. And I think all three of these guys at their current ADP are pretty good value players and should be all top 50 guys, and all of them have their ADP outside the top 50 as it uh, as it currently stands. Pick 68. Uh, uh, before we move on, I have, I have a quick question for you, Josh. Mm. Uh, potentially Butler getting traded to Miami with Richardson moving to Minnesota or even the possibility of Butler playing alongside Richardson, does that concern you at all with where you would take him? If Richardson moved to Minnesota, I think it would uh, bump him up because then I would have no issue about him playing. Like he'd go from 32 minutes to 36, 37 minutes yeah, pretty much yeah. straight away. Not 40. <laughs> uh, he, look, he might. Who knows what he would he do? Might. Like, what was that, Carl? I just said he might. 
Yeah, look, he... Sorry, he, I'm just he, over here, like, fantasizing about Josh Richardson actually playing 38 minutes a game. If he if he went to Minnesota, then, in a Butler trade, then I think I would take him almost no doubt in that scenario. We wouldn't have this yeah. concern. Like, at the moment, I'm a little bit shaky on him. Like, if Butler does come and he doesn't leave, that's going to impact what he can do. That's another reason why I'm a little bit shaky. What are they going to do with Wade, who's going to jack as many shots as possible and be one of the least efficient players in the NBA, which is a concern as well. So if he did go to Minnesota, that would be great. If Butler came to Miami and he didn't leave it, I think it would be really, really bad for Richardson's value. So that's why there's a lot of shakiness there with with him as to where you're going to pick him. And for a guy like Prince, I just don't have those question marks over him as I do for those other players. But, but those, those questions for Richardson could be easily solved once uh, yeah, Tibbs pulls his finger out of his ass and executes a deal. Pick 68, we're looking at big men here in this area. Yusuf Nurkic, Hassan Whiteside, Dwight Howard are all in this sort of zone as big men for this uh, for this season. Greg, you are the odd man out, and you took Hassan Whiteside, who's looked really good in this in a couple of preseason games um, that have gone down for Miami. I still have some worry there was no Bam Adebayo in those games, and who knows how he's going to fit no James Johnson either, which would impact some of Whiteside's minutes. But are you buying a, uh, a resurgent Hassan Whiteside? So I'm not buying a resurgent Hassan Whiteside. I'm buying the potential of a, of a resurgent Hassan Whiteside. And that's fair enough. And if you look at other guys that are in this category, like Dwight Howard, one of the reasons I didn't I didn't put him in is just because he, he's so specific to build and whether it's roto or head-to-head. So that kind of took him out of consideration for me. Whether whether you want to go Nurkic or Whiteside, I, I would say Nurkic is probably the safer pick, but I really like the upside of Whiteside. Like I found myself taking him in a lot of my mock drafts, and it's just because if we get the Whiteside of a couple of years ago, like you could get a, a top round pick player in kind of the middle rounds. So the pick to me is based on the upside. Yeah, look, me and Matt and Kyle all went with Nurkic. And look, seeing what's happened over the preseason, you got to really be careful of how much you're buying into it. But given that upside there, I, I may change that decision and go with Whiteside. His free throw percentage can be a problem. We've seen that from him in the past, that that can be a, a real issue. And I don't think he's going to be blocking the same amount of shots that he had in the past, where you know three years ago, he was at 3.7 blocks, which made him a first-round player. And that has dropped off pretty considerably since then. But he is someone who is is an interesting guy here, probably a little bit more upside than uh, than Nurkic, and it depends what else you've done with your other picks, especially. Look, they're both pretty shit free-throw shooters, actually. Uh, Kyle, you went with uh, with Nurkic here, but anything you've seen from Whiteside that would make you second-guess this? We're all out on Dwight Howard at this pick, by the way. Well, I mean, both Nurkic and Whiteside have uh, hit three-pointers this preseason, yep. so that's on the table. Yeah, I mean, I think he hit a, hit a three-pointer the other day. Oh, that looked so bad, though. <laughs> like, that was... That was one of them where you're watching it and you're going, yeah, not again. Let's not do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, send one up to God on that one. But uh, uh, Whiteside only took one three-pointer, and uh, Spolstra said that if it comes within the flow of the offense, he's okay with it, but you're not going to see a lot of them. Um, he didn't attempt out of the two uh, Heat preseason games. He did not attempt a three-point uh, shot in the other game. Uh, Nurkic was one for two in, on his attempts. So, um I don't know. It's interesting. And I'm looking at Nurkic and I feel like there's some untapped upside there because it's it's almost like the Miles Turner situation in that we had certain expectations where Nurkic was going to be at his, in his first full season with the Trailblazers last year. And and then it was a little bit depressed from what we thought. He wasn't getting necessarily the same minutes that we thought. I thought there was 30 minutes was guaranteed to Nurkic last yeah. year, whereas we saw him playing 26 to 28 most nights. This season, after they've signed him to a, a, a long-term contract, 
and they got rid of Ed Davis. And I'm not the biggest Zach Collins believer. So from those perspectives, I'm looking at Nurkic and I'm seeing an opportunity that may increase this season. And so that's another reason why I like him. But I mean, as far as overall potential upside, yes, Whiteside has already shown that he can be like, I believe a second round player. So in the past, so um, I definitely understand Greg's pers- per, uh, perspective on this. Whiteside's got Kelly Linick. He's got James Johnson, who plays some center. He's also got Bam Adebayo. Nurkic doesn't really have much in terms of that competition. So you're not, like, as much as I do like Zach Collins, I don't think they're going to say, well, sorry, Nurkic, you're just benched and Collins is playing 30 a night this season. Whereas you could see Adebayo on occasional nights playing 28 and Whiteside playing 20, or a Linick having a strong night and coming in there. So there's a three-man competition for minutes there, or you could take it away in terms of nightly consistency. Whereas Nurkic, maybe Stotts is the only impact in terms of the consistency moving forward. Let's uh, go to the next one. This one is a whitewash. Final final thought. If the Heat and did the Jimmy Butler trade and and uh, Whiteside went to Minnesota, though, that's another one to get really uh, engorged yeah, that's, about. That's, that's, here's, here's the thing on that, though. I, I, I've brought this up before. Like, we have no clue what Tibbs values. Like, what he what is he looking for in a trade when he thinks it's a good idea to start Derrick Rose at shooting guard? Like, like what is he going to get back that he thinks is a good haul for Jimmy Butler? It's a total wild card in this situation. We don't know. The fit of Whiteside next to Towns makes zero sense to me. Now, for all we know, Tibbs could be looking at it and just goes, that's the front court that I want. But I, I just can't imagine that that's the trade. Like, Whiteside's contract is such a just such an albatross it's such a negative that i can't imagine that he would be the package for jimmy butler uh but m- maybe i'm wrong i yeah i don't, I don't know how we would, would they move taj gibson to the bench and then start Whiteside in town it's such a weird fit but if there's anything we know is that weird fits is uh basically what happens in minnesota and just add another poor three-point shooter into that mix is what the has been their mo throughout the the time that uh thibodeau has been there Taj would start at the three, and uh, Andrew Wiggins would move to the mid. Pick run run a Kings lineup. Pick um oh, don't don't even don't even start me on that. Pick seventy five. We have whitewashed this. It's Paul Millsap or Nikola Mirotic, and all of us have taken Mirotic. I included this one because I think it was important to uh, to mention because Paul Millsap's ADP is sixty one over on Yahoo. His rank on ESPN is sixty one. He's um yeah that's uh, it's it's decently high whereas Miritich who ha- we haven't seen in the preseason here dealing with a little bit of Achilles soreness he's seventy one ADP on Yahoo he's yeah you know, ranked one hundred and five on on ESPN so they're going to be available around that same point but to me and I'm uh, I know for Matt it, it's not really a close decision to take Miritich here over Millsap um it's just me highlighting that. You know, that some people are going to be forced with that decision because they're going to see those guys there, and some people may may take Millsap based on where he falls on the uh, the default rankings. Greg, is there is it close at all? Ah, uh, it's so weird because a year ago I would have said this isn't close. It's easily Paul Millsap, but if we look at how much it seemed like Miritich uh, kind of reached his potential in the playoffs and after he got traded to the Pelicans last year, I think that he has a pretty secure role now which we haven't seen from him in the past. One of the things that really was an issue with Miritich when he was with the Bulls was Hoiberg would very frequently just take him out of the game. He missed two shots in a row. And it's like, that's it. Miritich are coming out of the game. And sometimes he wouldn't even go back in, which I think kind of messed with his confidence a little bit. I'm usually not like a huge narrative type guy, but I think this is a situation where it really did impact him. And now where he's in a spot where he's a really secure role, he kind of has the reins to be able to just play his game. He doesn't have to worry about, off. Oh, I miss a shot, I'm coming out of the game. I think he's just able to play to his abilities, which is a pretty solid NBA player. 
Kyle, any any hesitation with you? Nah, not really. Um, you know, I, I think there's always the potential that after a an injury plagued season last year for Millsap, that there's the potential for him to do a little bit better this year, whether that's improving his efficiency on the Nuggets or just not having Michael Malone uh, put him into some kind of stupid role that he shouldn't be in. Um, if, if things are kind of ironed out more sanely this year for the, the Nuggets offense for the entirety of the season, I think there's a potential that for Millsap to surprise us this year, but in general, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be leaning Miritich and the potential better production that he's going to offer than, than what, uh, what Millsap is. Yep. Can't argue with that. We all had uh, Miritich there. Let's uh, move on to the next one. Pick number 84. A couple of guys who play different positions, but do offer pretty similar stats, which is a, a weird thing about them. So it's not just about the position. It's about what numbers you're bringing. And that's DeJounte Murray and Kyle Anderson. We split this one down the middle with Greg and Matt both taking DeJounte and myself and Kyle both taking uh, Kyle Anderson. Kyle, um, Weirdly enough, Chandler Parsons started over Anderson in the Grizzlies' first preseason game. So shout out to JB Biggerstaff, the number one coach on the shit list at the moment. Yeah, no, I actually, I have to go. I forgot to do it already. I, I have to go in and change my uh, my Kyle Anderson projection down a little bit. because I had him projected for 33 minutes because I thought there's no way he's not going to start and play, you know, a as as many minutes as, as Bickerstaff is going to give a starter, which I thought would be about 33 minutes. Thought no way, but you're right. Chandler Parsons started in the first preseason game for the Grizzlies, so I know nothing. I had Anderson at 31. I'm keeping him there just for the moment. But this is the frustrating thing: is it Parsons? Look, he look in the limited minutes he played last season, he shot the ball well, but he played almost exclusively as a power forward. He can barely move, so I don't understand signing a guy, playing in big minutes, oh, sorry, paying him big money to come in to be your your small forward, and then putting him on the bench behind a guy who's not the best fit at that position. Yes, it was one preseason game. I know that. But surely get that guy out there. He fits really well with Gasol and Conley. You can stagger him to run second units as well. Look, and if he comes off the bench and he, he still plays 30 minutes a night, that's fine. But it is a little bit harder to do that unless you're Alvin Gentry and you find it easier to play big minutes to guys coming off the bench. I don't get the thought process, and I was never enamored with Bickerstaff's coaching last season. I didn't understand the hiring process or lack of process they had in Memphis in giving him. It was just like, do you want the job? Are you going to uh, ask for much money? Yes, I want the job. No, not much money. Cool. You can have it. Just a nonsense process. Showed nothing last season. Showed nothing in Houston. And he is going to be, I'm going to be hanging shit on him pretty much all season. So it is a real worry there. Now, I have gone with Anderson, so I do believe that you know, Parsons, A, won't be able to stay healthy. And then Anderson will get those minutes regardless of what the role is. But it is something to, to pay some attention to um, with uh, just the ludicrous decisions already creeping in in Memphis. Um, starting See, alongside you, Josh, uh, Go ahead. When you when you lay out the, 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 the fact that they were so passive in how they hired him, I, I don't know if that I'm supposed to take like – Originally, when you started talking, I was like, okay, now this is essentially what I'm seeing here is, is Hollinger, the front office, went out and found Anderson, who's like a an advanced stats guy or, or somebody who you have to have a the right perspective on to understand that like just because he moves slow doesn't mean he's not good at basketball and all this kind of stuff. Like, There's a lot of Anderson, uh, Kyle Anderson haters out there because they don't think he's as good as he is, and I, I think he is that good. I, I, I love the way he plays. It, it doesn't have to be... I don't know. It's, it's maybe it may seem methodical, but it's extremely intelligent. So I wonder if Anderson was a front office signing and if Bickerstaff just, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I can't reason 
why Chandler Parsons would have been put into that starting lineup to to begin, unless they're trying to fool the league into thinking that Chandler Parsons is healthy, which is just like not going to happen. Yeah, I, I I don't get it either. And you know, pair that with starting thirty two year old low upside Garrett Temple over your uh, you know, rookie who played the most minutes out of every rookie last season, Dylan Brooks or Marshawn Brooks who came on strong or, or Wayne Seldon or whoever, one of the young guys are trying to develop them. Let's get Garrett Temple out there. This is, you know, the league is all about pushing offense and pushing up tempo and uh, the Grizzlies, no, we're going to try and get as slow as possible, as boring as possible. It is, is going to be an absolute drag for this team for this season. But Greg, let's go a little bit more positive. DeJounte Murray in San Antonio should be seeing his minutes rise this season. He's not a guy that helps you in traditional point guard categories, low assist, doesn't hit many threes but if he adds those numbers on then perhaps he is that guy that really does smash through this value can you see him increasing or at least changing his statistical profile for this season oh well not the three-pointers the three-pointers i don't think are coming the the assists i think are possible Uh, i do think he's going to play more minutes this year the defensive number should be nice for a point guard uh, one of the other things, too is if i'm projecting that it's possible that we see more assists from murray playing a lot of minutes at point guard this year, which I think should happen because Tony Parker isn't there in San Antonio. There really aren't that many guys to be able to play point guard for the Spurs. Is it's, Assists are really difficult to find later in the draft this year. And Murray is one of the one potential good source of assists in the later rounds of the draft, which is, which is one of the reasons that I really like him at this spot. He's got a, a pretty low ADP, uh, 109 on Yahoo, which is obviously a pretty low 90 for Kyle Anderson, but we've got them both ranked significantly higher in the way that our projections come. But I think that he, he could push towards five assists. Maybe Derek White gets more point guard minutes. Paddy Mills, not really a point guard. Bryn Forbes, not really a point guard. They don't have a point forward guy um, in Kyle Anderson gone. Maybe it's DeMar Rosen. but you're right. Someone's going to have to start to distribute the ball a little bit more and Murray could push into a larger role there. Let's look at the next one. It's pick 91. We've got Jaron Jackson Jr., the future MVP, Kyle Kuzma, and Serge Ibaka. Now, we've just talked, Kyle, about uh, the Grizzlies and what they're going to do with uh, the rotations. They started Jermichael Green over Jaron Jackson. Now, Jackson still played well. He was uh, perfect from the field, from three, from the line. He didn't block a shot, but we know that's going to come. But it feels like there's going to be a level of frustration there with uh, with Jackson. I went with uh, Jaron there. Because I just believe in the upside above a guy like a Barker who is trending in the wrong direction. Started the first preseason game off the bench in the second. Didn't look great in either, personally. And I just find it a little bit hard for Kuzma to do what he did last season. Plus, just the, the additional crowding with the addition of LeBron there in uh, in LA might make it hard for him to play those 35 minutes a night. He was playing post-All-Star when he did post up you know, top 80 numbers. That might be a little bit difficult. Plus, playing out of position at center might cause some struggles. But Cole, you did list none of the above in that area, but there in brackets put Jaron Jackson. So, you know, I've maybe unfairly characterized you as having Jackson there. So what what you know, what's your concern with this group of guys that I've got listed here at pick 91 based on their, uh, their ADPs? Well, I didn't trust uh, J.B. Bickerstaff to give Jaron Jackson the amount of minutes that I think he deserves from the outset initially. So now that we've actually seen Jaron Jackson's in line to come off the bench behind Jamichael Green. I don't know how long that's going to persist. I don't know how many minutes Jaron Jackson's going to get. And yeah, when you look at his production and the fact that he didn't he didn't miss any shots in the first preseason game, and you're not worried about the lack of blocks, whatever. If you were, if you watched even the highlights of that game, you could see how keyed in Jaron Jackson is on defense, how good of a job he's already doing, putting his body into guys when they when they come in to try to get layups. Even if he wasn't doing a great job, you see that the fundamentals are there in regards to his defensive potential. Um, 
I just I would be targeting somebody else at the 91st pick that, rather than Jaron Jackson Jr., Kuzma, or Ibaka, because I, I worry about all of their ceilings this year um, due to their team situations. Yeah, look, I've got Kuzma and Ibaka both probably not being top 100 guys this season. I do worry about what Jackson is going to. Has there ever been any sort of proof that you know, bringing guys along slowly and sitting them down and making them learn actually makes them better players in the long run rather than putting guys out there and letting them try and develop as the game speeds up alongside you know, better teammates like Gasol and Conley and these starters? Is any? I don't think there's been any even no. definitive about that no there's so, no way it's there's no way it's true i mean just dude yeah. i mean the older i get and the more the longer a perspective of i i have of the nba and basketball and all that kind of crap the more and more i come to a realization that yeah there's some guys who develop slow or whatever but like whether or not you put them in the starting lineup and the amount of opportunity you give them like either the guy's an a-hole and he's going to get it and he's going to be a good teammate and he's going to be a good uh worker and all that kind of stuff or he's not and and i don't think that you know yes you can create an environment to bring those things out of certain players and whatnot or, or to enhance their development absolutely you know and if you have a poor environment you can you can influence a player a player's development negatively but for the most part there's NBA careers are so short and the NBA season is there, there's not like tons of practices for, for coaches to evaluate things. There's not, you know, so many of the data sets that we look at, you know, all these teams play against another team or another player what, four times at most throughout the year. So it's like so many of our data sets are like small sample sizes. And I don't, I don't understand why, why so many of these coaches try to like, uh, tiptoe around the edges, and I bet a lot of it's just it's 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 office um, it's office politics. It's who do we have to give these minutes to because they actually came in and worked hard at practice, or they weren't late, or something stupid like that, rather than like who's the best players? Let's put them out there. Yeah, I'm sure that's part of it as well because yeah, you have coaches that just stubbornly don't give these guys minutes. You know, Stan Van Gundy with Luke Kennard, uh, Steve Clifford with Malik Monk last season just refused to play them on the express basis that they were rookies pretty much when they were superior to other options that were there. And you get the feeling that that's some of that you know old school mentality that sticks around with, uh, with these guys can, uh, can cause though, those issues moving forward. Greg, I didn't ask you your opinion on Jaron Jackson, but I'm going to start you with this one at pick number 106, Jalen Brown versus Markel Fultz. All of us went with Markel Fultz here, which I think would surprise quite a lot of people. Everyone loves Jalen Brown. I think he's one of the best blokes in the NBA, uh, but he does struggle a little bit fantasy-wise, and we talked about it with Haywood earlier about you know where are the, how is the ball going to be distributed? He struggles with assists. He gets none of them. Rebounds, steals, blocks, they're not high. Poor efficiency, whereas Fultz... Uh, I'm, I'm excited. He's starting. I think he's going to start the regular season. I think the minutes are going to push up. He blocks shots at a high rate. Uh, I was a little bit skeptical of taking Fultz around that pick 100 mark when I thought he was going to be a 24-minute-a-night bench piece. But, Greg, it doesn't appear like that's going to be the case. No, and the other issue I have with Jalen Brown here, as I have to enlarge stuff like comically huge on my iPad because my eyesight is getting so terrible as I get older, uh, Jalen Brown... Like you were saying, there's certain players who just have a really big gap in between the value they provide in real-life basketball and the value they provide in fantasy basketball. Jalen Brown is a very good real-life player. He's not like an all-star level player or anything, but he's a very good real-life player. He just isn't that in fantasy basketball. I'm not even convinced he's going to be a standard league player this year because he doesn't really do all that much to contribute fantasy-wise. He shot three-pointers decently last year, uh, better than I would have thought. 
but still he's a very poor free throw shooter. He doesn't do great things from the field. And the other issue also is of all the people who are going to lose out on usage and playing time to Gordon Hayward, I think that Jalen Brown is the guy who stands to lose the most with him coming back. Yeah, I think that's a, a legitimate risk there as well. He's a guy that look, that looks spectacular on the court, you know, big dunks and plays hard, and that's all great. But when you're just not getting anything in the assists and you don't generate steals and your percentages are poor and you've got that risk of volume going down, I think he, he's a, 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 a risky pick at that zone, whereas Fultz, you know, who knows what? Maybe he could be a top 60 guy. He could block a shot per game. He could get a steal. He could get six assists. Who knows what he's going to do? There is a lot of upside still in Fultz, but I'm feeling a lot more confident with his floor, Kyle. What, have you seen much of him through the preseason, and what have you thought if you have? I think Fultz looks great so far. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's really not... I, I find I'm strugg- I would struggle to find negative things to say about him. You worried a little bit about his lack of three-point shooting in his game uh, and how that would fit by taking J.J. Redick out of the, the starting lineup, but you've got Joel Embiid stretching the floor, and Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz are elite at getting to the line or not getting the line but getting to the rack so you're it it just works you watch it there's so much passing going on from these guys between ben simmons and markel fultz and and everybody else on the it's infectious so and dario charge out there it's just they've they've got the right pieces around each other so yeah i I love what fultz is offering if you're not worried about the percentages in head-to-head like i do where i punt the percentages not necessarily to say you know F the percentages completely, but just to say, I don't want to think about the percentages when I'm drafting in a head-to-head league because I want as many counting sets as possible because if I cared about the percentages, I wouldn't be focused on guys like Markel Fultz. I wouldn't be focused on guys like Dennis Smith as much in my later rounds. And if I can get those guys and they pop, you're all screwed, my leagues. You're all screwed. I don't care about my percentages then. You're all screwed. All right. Let's, uh, you've, you've got you've got that warning there from Kyle, but what you what you Trash said, talk. <laughs> <laughs> what you said with that with Fultz, what I would say when I watch him, and I saw this last year, is that he can get wherever he wants. Like when he's got the ball, like you just go, well, he's going to get to this spot. He's going to spin past these guys. He's going to dribble through, and he's going to get where he wants to. Very similar to the way that Harden's able to do it. Of course, he's not James Harden, but the ability to get to that spot is really key, and that's what's going to make things work you know, with him moving forward in the NBA. Adding those that ability to get defensive numbers uh, and. And some assists. It's going to be very interesting to see how he goes. Probably one of the big storylines to me to watch now this coming season is how Fultz actually goes in a full NBA season. Uh, one, one sec. Before we move on, I just want to add one thing on Fultz that I think is, I mean, it's what, what everybody's been talking about anyways with the jump shot. What's really significant about it to me is if he could just make some of them, like he doesn't have to be some crazy efficient three-point shooter or whatever, but just the threat that he is going to take them and he's capable of making them is going to make people come up and guard him which is huge for how athletic he is because before people could kind of sag off and be like, well, we know he's not going to shoot. He's shooting now. And the shot looks good enough to me that he should be able to make a decent amount of them. He's certainly going to make them if teams are just going to leave him open. So I think that if people are going to have to come up and guard him, like he's super talented. He shot the ball well in college. We have no clue what the hell happened last year, but it, it's just a write-off to me, whatever. It doesn't matter that as far as I'm concerned, the rookie or Mark Fultz never existed. And there's a reason he was the top overall pick in the draft. He could have, I don't know what the ceiling is this year, but he could be a really good fantasy player this season. Yeah, I, look, there is there's pretty big upside, I think, for Fultz for this coming year. Let's go a little bit later in a draft. Pick number 120. We're looking at uh, wing players here. Rudy Gay, Jeremy Lamb, and Trevor Ariza. Uh, Greg and Matt both took Rudy Gay. Me and Kyle both went with Jeremy Lamb. Um, 
Rudy Gay, look, he appears locked in as the starting small forward in San Antonio. Lamb appears locked in as the starting shooting guard for the Hornets. Um, I, I think this is pretty close. I, it was a hard one for me to, to choose because I've got Gay in quite a few drafts and I've got Lamb in quite a few as well. Greg, what made you uh, side with Rudy over Jeremy? Yeah, so the big thing for me is just that Kyle Anderson isn't there anymore. So there's not as many minutes for him to compete with uh, in the small forward slash power forward spot. And Rudy Gay, when we saw him get extended minutes last year, he looked pretty good. I think that of players we've seen have the Achilles injury, he's been the probably the biggest success in terms of return and being the closest to the form he was prior to the injury. And I, I think that Rudy Gay also is somebody, good fantasy player. He adds kind of everything across the board. Like, he'll get you a block, he gets you a steal. Like, he could be a triple one player this year in the best case scenario. Yeah, and he was that in his Sacramento days. And that's one of the that's the reason that Matt has gone with Rudy Gay here, just across the board production, which is really solid in a roto league. I've liked what I've seen from Jeremy Lamb the last couple of seasons. Steve Clifford seemed to hate him, but he looks like his role is going to expand this year. Kyle, he should be that starting shooting guard who can score, who's a strong rebounder, pretty efficient. And the ball handling's not too bad with him. If he can get the steal numbers up, would be a, a promising thing. But I think both these guys can be top 100 guys, and they are available around this 120 zone. So, Kyle, you know, have you been you know, impressed? Are you worried at all about Monk coming in behind Lamb or the play of Miles Bridges, perhaps? Um, I'd be more worried about Miles Bridges from like a shifting perspective in regards to if they want to put Batum back down to shooting guard for some minutes, and that might impact Lamb a little bit. If, if they want to get Miles Bridges in at small forward and still keep Marvin Williams up at power forward or maybe use Michael Kidd-Gilchrist there. But I, I think in most respects, you're just going to see Miles Bridges right now step into that that backup power forward role and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is going to get... He's he's going to get maybe some minutes, but not many. I think I think that Bridges is going to, and maybe this is a bulk, I think he's going to take uh, Frank Kaminsky out of the rotation. Oh, Frank's not playing. Yeah, thanks. because Frank Frank's playing because Frank's playing center this year, and Frank's not playing because Cody Zeller and Willie Aaron and Gomez especially have looked like they got some thick wood they're slanging out there right now. <laughs> think, Shout out to Dennis you Smith. Think, you think you think Willie for sure ahead of uh, Frank in the rotation? You should absolutely. Be. Yeah. Frank's a tr- Frank's Frank's trash compared to Willie Aaron and Gomez. You just I mean just uh, Willie's just got a. Oh, bravado about him out there on the court. I love it. I'm I'm not a Willie fan. I, I don't get oh you know why? Because he your your trash uh team that you like uh, screwed him and didn't play him. <laughs> but I even when even when he played, like I, I do think this when he plays, he's a very good fantasy producer. But there's when he's on the court, like all his, he doesn't have anything that I would consider to be a particularly good NBA skill. He's a, he's a good rebounder. He's a good rebounder. But all his all his baskets are, like he doesn't have any way to score the basketball. The only way he scores is if he gets a rebound and there's nobody standing around him. He's able to put it back in. Like I don't see any other way that he scores. He wasn't he, great as a defensive player when he was on the Knicks. No, he's a, he's I, a I think bad his three point shot looks so good. Like 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 it's not even you. You can't make an argument against. I think his three-point shot just looks legit. His last game um, against the Heat, he had uh, 16 and 10 in 17 minutes with four blocks. It was pretty uh, pretty impressive there for Bill Hernan Gomez. My voice is disappearing, so let's move on to the next uh, the next pick. Um, pick 134, just throwing in some flyer-type big men here towards the end of a draft. Um, Kyle, I mainly put this one so I could play you the song. One, two, three, four, five. 
Mohamed Bamba and uh, the table, Montrez Harrell. We all went with Harrell here. Um, I think that Bumba is going to. We know first of all, we know that Steve Clifford hates rookies, um, and we oh, he's going to play them together. That's great. Him and Vucevic, it's just a shit combination, especially when you've got John Isaac and Aaron Gordon who can also play at power forward, and Jarrell Martin who is a power forward on that roster. Not that he's that good, but still another option. Uh, I think that Bumba is going to find it hard to get enough minutes. He's a free throw drain as well, which is a concern. Whereas Harrell is a high usage high field goal percentage guy who's got the potential to overtake marching Gortat or at least split the minutes pretty evenly with him. Whereas in Orlando, it's pretty clear that Vucevic is clearly the better player. Clifford's making the noise that maybe he isn't going to trade him this season or they're not going to trade him, which would clearly impact what Bumba can do. And maybe Bumba is the better player in March, but for the first five months of the season... I think it's pretty clear that it is going to be Harold, and we all we all do agree on uh, on that one. Anything uh, that you need to speak on on that, uh, Greg? Uh, a little concerned about how the Clippers have uh, been practicing with Harold, kind of a part of a third unit in scrimmages. But I, I think that outside of that, it really shouldn't be the case coming into the regular season. We've even seen. The beat reporter who initially reported that Howard was uh, practicing and scrimmaging with the third team, he said the expectation is that Howard's going to be on the second team, if not the not a starter by the time the season opens up. Uh, and then in terms of, of Bamba, I really like him as a prospect, but there's just too many big men on that roster. Unless they make a roster move, it's hard to see him playing significant minutes. Yeah, that's that's one where you've, you're, you're not going to get really much use out of him for the 2018 portion of this season, I don't believe. I don't think he's in as good of a situation as what Mitchell Robinson is in New York, where Robinson's just going to come in and play 20 a night and probably block two shots per game to begin the season. I think Bumba will be a little bit slower to kick things off for this coming season. Uh, Kyle, do you have anything to add on this one? Uh, Bamba did hit two three-pointers, both, <laughs> both attempts that he took in the first preseason game against Philly. And I'll say this, he... He put up a as much of a fight as he could against Joel Embiid, but even if but if you're watching if you watch that game too, Joel Embiid was pushing Vucevic around too. So it's not like it was exclusively against Joel Embiid's the biggest man I've ever seen. I, yeah, I, haven't, just, I haven't seen Shaq in person, but Embiid is he's a monster. Um so yeah, I guess I'm a little bit higher on Bamba over the last week than what I was prior. And with Harold, I just I don't know if he's they're playing Daniil Gallinari at center in yep. some lineup. So uh, we'll see what happens, man. Let's go on to one of our last selections here. We're going low again, but we're talking point guards. Pick 135, Patrick Beverly, Colin Sexton, or Rajon Rondo are the options here. Um, Matt has uh, he decided to be a wild card and throw <laughs> Trey Burke in because uh, I didn't put him in that list, but that's fair enough. You can definitely have Trey Burke there, and I probably would too, but Matt, that wasn't the question. So he went with Patrick Beverly, who was a top 70 player last year before the knee injury. Kyle, you, me, and Matt all went with Beverly there in that role. He does have that favorable contract. Um, the Shea Gildress-Alexander is around, but I think Beverly, even in 30 minutes a night, can contribute enough to be useful at that area. I do worry about you know where Rondo's minutes are going to be like when Lonzo returns. Um, Colin Sexton, I think he's going to have a, a ton of efficiency, low steal, low three, low assist type numbers, although he did look good in preseason. So, Greg, I'll give you the floor first. Convince me as to why it's Sexton. Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of usage to fill in Cleveland now that LeBron is gone. We don't know how healthy Kevin Love is going to be this year because he's gotten injured a lot the last few seasons. So I'm taking Sexton here just kind of based on the upside. Uh, I think Beverly's fine. I just later in the draft, like if I could take somebody like Sexton, who I'm not really committed to, like if the pick busts, so what? I drop him. It's yeah, not a big deal. Like that's towards fair. the end of the draft. 
He had 15 points the, in 23 minutes in his first preseason game and, and shot the ball pretty well, 46% from the field, hit two threes. But again, just one assist. And that's where I, one assist, zero steals. And again, it's one game in preseason. But this is what his numbers profiled from, from college. It's what it looked like in summer league. And that's where I get the worry. He could, and I said this the other day, is that he could come out, he could very easily average 16 points per game. But that could, you could also be an Andrew Wiggins-based 16 points per game where you do nothing else in those other areas and everyone shits all over Wiggins for fantasy. He's terrible, wouldn't draft him, blah, 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 blah. But Sexton could come out and have the same numbers but worse and people would still be still be really all over him just because he's a rookie and because he uh, he says a lot of words when he's on defense. And I'm not against drafting Sexton. I completely understand that reasoning there. I just think that Beverly probably has top 70 upside this season, even in 30 minutes. So it's a value pick for me there. Kyle, did you... um, you think about this uh, more closely? Were you you're debating which direction to go? I mean, if you need, if you think Rondo is going to play more minutes than what I do, and and you need assists, then that that might be the way to go. Um, but I just don't trust that Sexton's going to command the role that people think, as long as George Hill's on that team, as long as Jordan Clarkson's there as well. So I thought Sexton looked pretty darn good doing you know doing what he does but like you pointed out josh he doesn't do a lot he does a couple of things he does them okay um he scores yeah he scores the ball that's what he's like what six one yeah have fun with that cleveland yeah that's that's the worry is that it's going to be inefficient scoring in very little else and that's that's where the concern comes in i think with sexton uh for this season and moving forward but he is going to be someone who's going to get an opportunity at some point this season no doubt about that Let's go on to the last one we're going to look at here. It's a big man. It's a last pick type of situation. Bam Adebayo versus Jakob Pertl for the last pick. Now, I, I use this example because they're both with that. Yeah, Pertl, uh, sorry, Adebayo's got a, an ADP of 138 on Yahoo for some reason. Pertl's at 134, both at that same sort of uh, same sort of area. But we have uh, clean swept it once again with Jakob Pertl, who I do think is going to have an opportunity to start in San Antonio, at least some games, and probably end up playing around the same amount as Pau Gasol, a high efficiency, efficiency shot-blocking guy uh, who can get rebounds and, and showed you know, some pretty significant improvements last season in Toronto. Um, was this close for, for anybody, Greg? Close at all? Uh... Uh, not really for me. And the, the main reason is just the, the road to playing time for Adebayo. Yep. If there is to be a trade where they're able to offload Whiteside somewhere, then this would easily be Adebayo for me. But just with as many big men as they have there right now with Whiteside and Olenek and James Johnson, Adebayo, it, it's hard for me to really see the the upside or even the, the path to him being a for sure ownable player in standard leagues just because of how many bigs that are on the, on the roster. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of how I view it. Kyle, what do you think? That's pretty much you guys laid it out. Um, and I'm excited that Pertle's like the one big man this year that's like, nah, I'm not shooting three-pointers. They're not adding that to my game. <laughs> Is he? It's going to be him and Ben Simmons, the only, the only guys over six foot nine who don't shoot threes. Is Ben really not going to shoot? No, nah, he's going. He's, he's definitely going to shoot. He's going to shoot at least one three. That's not an end of the buzzer heave. At least one. I think he's going to make. I think I've got him projected at making six for this year. So we'll see how that uh, how that works out. I'll double check that. Um, but I'm, I'm, he's surely. I, I know he can hit them. This is the thing. I know he can hit them. Um, yeah, but he just won't do it. The, that's the thing about so many of these guys who who choose not to take three pointers. I get it. Like you're so good at these other things, and you're a perfectionist or whatever. But like, just take the damn shot. We know. You know. We know what gravity does in the NBA these days. Just 
take the damn shot. That was what you know, I heard uh, on uh, Nate Duncan's la- la- latest podcast talking about the greatest eight players of all time. And I talked about Kevin Garnett, how he just refused to take threes, but would just knock down all long twos. And in, in warm-ups, would just be hitting you know, m- millions of threes in a row and could do it and just refused to do it in, in game. So I don't know what that is about. And maybe it is that perfectionist thing. Like, oh, if I can't do this better than everyone else, then I'm just not going to do it. And I understand that mentality from these guys. But I reckon, guys, that will wrap it up for today's show, battling through some uh, 15 different spots in draft to discuss our uh, our thoughts. Kyle, thank you uh, again for coming on. But uh, give uh, your latest article on Basketball Monster a plug. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RotoKyleNBA. And I've got a... Uh preseason update risers and fallers um atlanta to memphis thanks for whoever corrected my atlanta to la <laughs> edit that i accidentally posted initially on the article but um and then my uh the second half of the where essentially i i go through each team and i tell you who's rising and falling in value based on my perception of how things have unrolled so far in the preseason and the uh the second half of the uh, league will be up uh late tonight so yeah so that's for all you Basketball Monster subscribers. Go follow Kyle and go check out that article that's up and the second part coming up in a day or two. Greg, give us a, a plug of what you're doing. Yes, you guys follow me on Twitter at G DFS, and I have a TV show to promote now. I'm on television. Uh, so if you live in the tri-state area, I am on SNY, which is a channel the Mets play on, on a show called The Sweat. We are every Sunday from 11.30 a.m. to 12 to talk about football games. And I've been doing pregame shows for baseball at 6.30 p.m. So go and check Greg out over there. I'm sure that all those shows will be coming out as a DVD box set at some point. For us <laughs> who aren't in the uh, tri-state area, we can get a hold of that, Greg. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up later on for the uh, for the details there. So go follow Greg on Twitter and uh, and watch uh, TV's Greg Ehrenberg over on uh, whatever station that was that I have no idea and I don't remember, but um, sure. They're going to go and watch Greg on TV. It'll be fantastic. Guys, subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Thumbs it up. Five star. You know the way to go and follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Greg and Kyle, thank you. Peace out, homie. Thanks for having us on, Josh. And I hope everybody enjoyed looking at our faces. (laughs) Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Anthony Simons.